Welcome to the I Work For Him Power Pod. I'm Michael Miracle, producer for I Work For Him, the voice of the faith and work movement. We are on mission to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. Each quick listening power pod is designed with you in mind and jam-packed with kingdom resources to help you connect your faith and work. How will this impact your workplace? Let's find out right now. However you hear the show today, just know that I have been praying that this show will absolutely turn your heart upside down for the gospel in understanding the calling on your life. In fact, do you know what a kingdom calling is? Do you have one of those on your life? How would you know? What would it look like? How would it impact you on a daily basis? Does your church have a plan on how to challenge and equip you for your kingdom calling? If they don't, you might want to send them the link to this show when you're done listening. Do you even know what the kingdom is and how we're supposed to be living it out today? I know until five years ago, I didn't. Today, you're going to get to hear from Dr. Amy Sherman. She's the found, she is the senior fellow at the Sagamore Institute for Policy Research, where she directs the Center on Faith and Communities. She likes to describe the work of the center as being a minister to ministries. She provides training and consulting to churches and nonprofits seeking to transform their communities for the common good. Dr. Amy Sherman is the author of six books, and we're going to highlight pieces of one that she's written back a few years ago called Kingdom Calling, but it is very fresh today. Dr. Amy Sherman, welcome to I Work For Him. Amy, why don't you just describe when did you realize that your life was going to be focused on being a voice in the faith and the work movement? You know, it's been fairly recent, really. My original uh, Kingdom Calling, so to speak, was to equip the church for ministry among the poor. And that was a, a sense of calling I had on my life from a very early age. And I've been involved in both international uh, ministry and uh, domestic urban ministry. But several years ago, I began to realize that if we really wanted to see our cities transformed and our particularly our distressed neighborhoods transformed, that was going to require that believers um, sort of pay attention to the common good and that they would be involved in the transformation of their city, um, not just with the edges uh, of their time, um, but actually thinking about how can I pursue the, the values of the kingdom and, and be a blessing uh, in my city through the daily work that I do. You know, when I ran an urban ministry, I had all kinds of volunteers and was really grateful for them. These were bankers and and lawyers and educators, all different folks coming down to tutor kids and coach basketball teams and lead women's Bible studies and all that sort of thing. And it was great. But that's what they were doing, you know, with the two or three hours of time they had a week to volunteer. And I began to realize, wow, we're not really going to change the city if we're trying to do that using people's volunteer time. we got to figure out how to help people be a banker for the common good, how to be a lawyer for the common good, how to be an educator for the common good, to work for those sorts of changes in their daily life, in their daily job 
um, that would advance, you know, the mission of, of seeing God's love and God's kingdom um, expand. So when you had conversations with people out there in the marketplace, in their workplaces, and you started to talk to them about this idea, how did you see them respond that when you started to tell them, wow, you know, instead of just your three hours that you have time to volunteer each day or each week, think about the significance of the work that you do. When you started to open up their eyes, what was the reaction that you saw? I would say that the that the majority of folks were really excited about that. Um, the majority of folks wanted to know how to make what they did nine to five or eight to six or whatever they were working uh, more significant for, for advancing the kingdom. Um, they loved the idea that they could have a mission um, during that period of time and not just on those sort of extra hours around the, the margin. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people volunteer for things because there's a need, uh, because they get guilted into it by someone that's, you know, standing up there at the ministry fair saying, hey, we're dying for <laughs> basketball coaches or whatever. And, um, you know, they may or may not get a lot of joy, uh, out of that service. And when people recognize that they can use the gifts, the experience, the uh, the seniority, the the knowledge, you know, all the things that they've acquired in their in their vocational journey, and that they could actually deploy all of that in some new ways um, to advance the kingdom of God. It, it gave people a lot of a lot of joy and, and satisfaction. And as a ministry leader, you know, it made me realize, wow, you know, it's one thing for the banker to come down here and tutor a kid two hours a week, that's great. But boy, if that banker can get with a lot of other bankers and we can figure out how to how to change the whole crisis of payday lending in the community mm-hmm. where that little kid who's in the tutoring program came from, that would be like a way bigger impact in wow. that neighborhood than just his relationship with that one kid. At the Kansas City uh, Made to Flourish a meeting in October. I sat at a table, very mixed uh, cultural experience, and I sat down with a lady and I said, "Explain." You know, and then there was that guy that I think you brought him up there, or you introduced him, but he, he showed the pictures up on the stage of uh, it was red and blue, and it was and it had to do with um, uh, the the dividing line between where the most of the white people lived and what most of the black people lived, and and this woman had spent an hour explaining that to me, and she explained to me that in her community, where mostly the black people lived in Kansas City, there were three banks, but they were right on the dividing line, and that within her community there were dozens of those payday lending places. But you had to go across the street into the white neighborhood to get to the banks. I mean, that's just the beginning of something. I had no idea of the incredible struggles in the communities because I just didn't grow up in it. So you say that, and I know that's just one thing you said, but boy, that opened my eyes. And I hope it opened up the eyes of a lot of people to say, wow, we've got issues here. You were talking about how it's almost like churches think there's like a two-tiered Christianity, that the super high callings of the pastors and the missionaries, and then there's the rest of us. What, I mean, how do you battle that? 
Well, I, I think thankfully it's it's beginning to change some, but that that mentality was what I saw some years ago when I first started working on the book, and um, and, and that's a mentality that you know leaves leaves a lot of people sitting in the pew feeling bad or at least feeling ill-equipped. Um, but churches can make a change. Um, pastors can begin to really understand, hey, we're not really doing faithful discipleship if we're not discipling people for what they spend, you know, a huge percentage of their time doing. Um, and so I have the sense that, you know, most pastors, I would hope, you know, really are truly passionate about discipleship. And so when they could just really understand, wow, this discipleship needs to be for people's lives outside the four walls of the church, not just inside the four walls. Um, when, when they recognize, wow, if we're really going to do whole life discipleship, um, my friends in Phoenix call it all of life, all for Jesus. If that's the kind of discipleship we really want to do, then we've got to start learning how to talk to people about their work. We've got to start learning how to get people excited about what it means to be on mission for the kingdom of God um, on a daily basis in the work that they're doing, whether that's work outside the home, whether that's work in the home, whether it's paid, whether it's unpaid, uh, just that the daily labor that, that we're about. Um, really can be made so much more joyful and purposeful and meaningful um, when we understand what it looks like to to live for the kingdom of God through that, in and through that daily work. Amen. You know, one of the things that I that I have learned, you know, growing up in church and literally all my life, having never heard a sermon about the significance of my work outside of it, I was just trained, hey, Jim, you're supposed to work in your insurance business, your IT business, and make your money when you come to church, give us your money, and then volunteer. That was what I was told my calling was. If I wanted to be in full-time ministry, I had to go to seminary and things like that. And I was called a lay pastor. I was called a lay minister. And yet I yep. have learned recently... That's not really a word in the scriptures. That that we, that, right. that 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 has to do with that that two tier uh, standards in the, that the church has established, but it's not really real. That all of us have equal standing in the kingdom. That there's not one job more important than any other job. And no matter what we do, whether we're selling used cars, whether we're digging ditches, whether we're a nurse or a CEO, all of our jobs are significant to God. Yeah, that's right, and I think when pastors really understand, I think it's Ephesians 4.10 or 4.12, maybe, where it talks about, you know, how our pastors are supposed to be equipping the saints for their ministries. And so really the, the pastor needs to have the idea, wow, my job is to equip that Christian engineer, that Christian educator, that Christian uh, plumber, <laughs> uh, to think about their ministry out in the world through those vocations. That's what my job actually is. My job isn't to get the engineer and the plumber to come inside the four walls of the church and, and do a lot of volunteer work. I mean, you know, there's things that need to be done around the church, for sure. But mostly my job is to help equip them for what they're doing out in outside the four walls of the church. Right. It, it, we it we had a couple of couple months ago. We had a couple of air conditioning technicians, which here in Florida, that is like one of the most important <laughs> jobs. That is, and, and they taught. One of them was a former pastor, and he said, "Jim, I get a chance to do more one-on-one ministry as an air conditioning technician than I ever did as a pastor." And, and it was it was enlightening. It was incredible. It was an incredible conversation. All right, your book, Kingdom Calling, as we talked today with Amy Sherman. 
I just love it because if you really want to understand everything we talk about in I Work For Him, this is a book that puts it all in one place. And then the second half of the book is examples of people putting this into action. But Amy, you, not but, but you, you start with some definitions and I want people to understand it because in your book, you constantly reference the righteous. Now you use the Greek word, I believe, for righteous throughout it, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce because I, I put some little Star Wars uh, uh, dialect into it as I look at that <laughs> word. But you constantly reference the righteous. Who are the righteous? Yeah, so the righteous, it's actually a Hebrew word from okay. the Old Testament, and it's pronounced sadakim. And um, I got, I, my understanding of this really came from Pastor Tim Teller up at Redeemer in New York. And essentially what he what he said was, that word, when we see the word the just or the righteous in the Old Testament, most of the time... It's the Hebrew word, sadakim, and our English translation isn't really as robust as it needs to be, because the sadakim, yes, they are just people, they are the righteous people, but what they really are, in the fullest sense of the word, the the righteous are people who are so in love with God, so in love with His kingdom, so in love with His purposes, that they see everything that they have been given their wealth, their knowledge, their experiences, their relationships, their assets, their their education, every single thing that they have been given, they see those as gifts from God meant to be used for the blessing of other people. And in fact, Keller argues that when you really study uh, the, the word in Scripture, particularly in the Proverbs, you see that the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves for the sake of the common good. So they're not just open-handed and generous with all that they've been given. You know, they understand they're blessed to be a blessing, but they, they're even sacrificially doing that. <laughs> um, that. That's how passionate they are to give away sort of that which God has given them for the benefit of others. That That's who the righteous are, and that's just such a robust and and uh, compelling and uh, extravagant vision uh, of being God's people in the world. I love that explanation. What a phenomenal! Because now you take that idea of the righteous and 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 the finish of the of the definition, disadvantaging even themselves for the common good. You talk about the rejoiced city or rejoicing mm-hmm. a city, and I that concept honestly opened my eyes up. I had never heard of that. How do the righteous? bring about a rejoicing city or a rejoiced city? What is a rejoiced city, and how do the righteous play part of that? This all comes from the little verse in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 11.10, and it says, When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And essentially, if you really unpack everything that's in that verse, um, which is more or less what my book is about, the righteous take all that they've been given by God. So their their jobs, their knowledge, their relationships, the platform that they have, the influence that they have, whatever assets they have, whatever skills and talents they have, both natural gifts and spiritual gifts. They, they take all of that and they deploy all of that in ways that, that seek the, the good of their neighbor. They deploy all of those things in ways that bring what I call kingdom fortes into their communities. Um, by kingdom fortes, I mean the, the things that will mark 
the fully consummated kingdom of God at the end of time. You know, we read about the, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven onto earth, uh, dressed like a bride. That's in Revelation. We, we read about this idea of the new heaven and the new earth where there'll be no more tears and no more suffering. Well, there's a lot of, we don't know everything there is to know about what, what life in the fully consummated kingdom is going to be like, but there's actually quite a few biblical passages that give us glimpses into what that life is going to be like and that tell us the characteristics. And if you study those, what you see is that life is going to be marked by perfect justice and perfect beauty, perfect intimacy with God, perfect wholeness, um, perfect relationships, perfect community. Um, and so the, the righteous rejoice their cities by saying, okay, how can I become a kingdom foretaste bringer in my sphere of influence? How is a Christian engineer, uh, a, a Christian carpenter, how can I use what God has given to me, and how can I give someone else today, uh, inside my organization or outside my organization, how can I give them a little foretaste of more beauty, more joy, more wholeness, more justice, more more goodness, more of a, a taste of, of intimacy with, with the Lord? You've been listening to I Work For Him with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I Work For Him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him Power Pod with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Want more? Hear the full broadcast at IWorkForHim.com. Stay connected and receive power pack content when you sign up for our blog at IWorkForHim.com or follow us on social media at IWorkForHim. And finally, if today's message inspired you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review helps launch more workplace missionaries across the nation. That's at IWorkForHim and online, IWorkForHim.com.